This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Two and a half minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. You're on rate three triple R. This is Radio Marinara. I'm Anthony Boxall. And I'm Dr. Beach. <sighs> Dr. Beach. How are you this morning? I'm Dr. very Beach. well and all the better for having just met and listened to Uncle Jack Charles. Fantastic. What a treat that was. And I was barreling in here and I heard him on the radio and I thought, oh God, I, I have the great fortune to when I get to the end of my destination, when I get to my destination, the end of my journey, I am going to be treated with that. Oh, and it was just wonderful. I love being regaled by those stories. Collecting rent and queue is my favourite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to read I the book about that. Fair though, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, no, 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 hey, no, um, no. He did mention that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, lovely. Hey, and of course, um, the wonderful Namilla Benson um, joined Tim this morning for that last section of his show. And again, Tim surpasses himself as the master of radio. He does. And we are in a post-radiothon... I, I, I don't what, know. What it was, was it? high during Radiothon, and now it's kind of... It's that, it's that nice feeling you get after... I was about to say when you bash your head against a brick wall and then you no, get that nice, beautiful, numb feeling no at the bashing. end. But, but that's not it at all. It, it's, the, it's the pleasure, that warm feeling inside... Absolutely. ...knowing that all those people rang up, all of you beautiful listeners out there rang up and wanted to be part of this 
radio station. Some of you want to be part of this program, but I, you know, I, hell, I don't care which no, program you're a part of. We, we love this radio station and we love you for doing that. And I'd just like to chuck out one gentle reminder that yeah. if you still want to be in the running for those prizes... Which, which there are a lot. Of which there are many. Mm. There is a... Super, I was about to say uh, superfluitive prizes. I, uh, you could say that. Of yep. course, if you did, I wouldn't know what you meant. But it would sound well. Big. That would kind of mean that was you know that that was superfluous. But it's well, true. <laughs> I was just trying to chuck in that word. What about, about a cornucopia? A cornucopia? A plethora? A plethora? A plethora? There's a good word. There's a lot. Um, anyway, to anyway, do that, yeah, to, to be uh-huh. in the running for those many prizes, mm-hmm. you can still if you didn't get around it to it during Radiothon. Yeah. Yeah. Getting on the blower, yeah. ringing 93881027 or using the interweb and your computer device to subscribe any, any online. Kind of a- any kind of device. device any yeah. kind of computer Yeah, one of those. A um, mobile, tablet. We're modern. Yeah, we accept that. Then do it. Vic 24. Oh, yeah, before, there's a date. There's a date. Yeah, what yeah. So, so in order to get those prizes, you need to have paid. If you hadn't paid, you can pay before Wednesday, September 28th at 5pm. It's a very precise end point. It is. 5pm on Wednesday, September the 28th. And that would mean that you'd be in the running. Of course, a lot of people, you know, when you rang up, because it took about 45 nanoseconds, you may have paid at the time. And so, of course, this entire conversation is not for you. And you're just waiting then until after 5pm on For those people, this entire conversation would indeed be a superfluid. It would, that would, it would be, it would, it would be It would be superfluous. <laughs> we are the show about all things wet and salty. We are. And what, what, what wet and saltiness have you got for me today? Uh, well, I, I, I've, I've got a couple of articles. Oh I want to talk. There's something that's been in the news this week, but I want, I want to explore it in more detail as we yes. do here on Radio Marinara. And that is the um, discovery of evidence that people believe, the evidence that there was life on Earth 3,700 oh, yes. million years ago, which, which translates to 3.7 billion years ago. Which is a lot. Which is a lot. It is a lot. And, and I have the excuse to talk about those things on this program because they are marine organisms that they're talking about. I know. I'm, I'm looking forward to your spin on this, actually. In the shallow seas of the Archean in Greenland. Okay. And, and uh, what else we got? So Anna McCallum is in. She's going to, to join us in the studio at about quarter past, actually, to talk about a uh, sensational little thing that the Victorian branch of AMSA, the Australian Marine Science Association, is putting on showcasing Victoria's marine science. So in a couple of weeks' time, there are tickets for people to go and buy to see it. Topical. Very, very. And then towards... It's kind of like a, a post-science week science Mm-hmm. Week. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, there. I'm with you. <laughs> and then, and then um, Associate Professor Jeff Westcott's coming in to talk about kind of a different kind of marine thing. Marine, in, marine organisations and policy and the way everything gets run. There's a thing that's been, that's been put out by the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, or DELP as they're otherwise known, called the Marine and Coastal Act Discussion Paper. So it's a discussion about how to manage things in the Marine Coast. So Jeff will join us and tell us about that. Very important like topic. what's broken, what they're suggesting. He was the chair, or he still is the chair of the expert panel that helped put this stuff together. Anyway, that'll be towards the end of the show. But until then, I... I'm going to hear a bit of weather. Yeah, yeah weather? let's do, let's let's do, do the some weather. weather. It's, it's a pretty nice day out there for those who... Super fluidity of weather. 
Uh, not fluidity. No. Fluidity. Fluidity. Super, I beg your pardon. No, no, I'm talking about a super fluidity because oh, it's oh, going to be wet. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. Super, oh, you are. Right, yeah. of course, yeah. yeah just because I got it wrong. It's a nice day out there if you're just poking your nose out from under the doona. It's mm. 17 degrees. Well, it's going to be 17 degrees. I, don't know, I guess it's about 12 or 13 or something out there now. Yeah, it was but, it is, but it is sunny. There's no rain on the horizon for today. Tomorrow, mostly really? cloudy. No. Uh, no. Uh, partly cloudy. Oh, oh. I, I told a lie there. Oh, partly cloudy, mostly sunny, partly cloudy, medium chance of showers with the east, about the eastern suburbs clearing before dawn with only slight 20% chance of shower remaining about the Dandenongs. Winds west to northwest, 15 to 25 kilometres per hour in uh, the morning, at less than one millimetre of rain. Tomorrow is going to be mostly cloudy with a top of 18 degrees. Tuesday, partly cloudy, top of 19 degrees. Wednesday... Mostly sunny, 22 degrees. Thursday, 23 no. degrees. No. Spring is here. And no, that is just not possible. It's, it is. So did you it say is. 23? 23 on Thursday. I shall have to break out my short pants. That's right. Your lederhosen. I'm my Donna, lederhosen? I'm Donna Stark. Do you know you can get a cream for that these days? I can get a what? You're Donna Stark. You can get your cream for it. I, I've got no idea what you're talking about. You know, you can fix it up. Anyway, I'll, I'll for my... Tw- I'll, I'll, I'll cre- all right, some, some kind of meditation for my Donnerstag. <laughs> uh, the tides, for those who are heading out on the yeah. water, um, uh-huh. it was high tide oh, in Williamstown. We don't care about Williamstown. Point Lonsdale is where it's at. Hey, hey, hey we care about Williamstown. Well, I personally well, care about we Williamstown. We do, but for those who are interested in the tides, yeah, we, we generally give the, the heads what's happening to, at the Yeah, heads. true, we do. Um, it's... Well, it was low tide at Point Lonsdale at 7.30 this morning and it's going to be high tide at nine minutes past the hour of two o'clock for a 1.57 metre high tide at Point Lonsdale. So that'll mean just about when Einstein starts, just at the end of the doctors will be slack. Before Dr Shane comes in. I've got a tiny bit of news which I want to share sure, with yeah, you all before we go on to um, some music and some other things. Big news, cuttlefish can count. People in Taiwan have done a... Um, <laughs> okay, sorry, I was a bit slow there. I just... You, you weren't say, let's slow. say that again. Cuttlefish can count. count. So pharaoh okay. cuttlefish, as um, experiments have been performed... Well, you know, the nice experiments have yeah, looked no, after this cuttlefish. Awful. No, we don't want that. We love cuttlefish. Some people at the Tsinghua University in Tsingchu, Taiwan, right. have taken cuttlefish which have been bred in captivity and they've presented them with a couple of tanks. So they've, they're very... Nicely, um, no, this is a brief one. I'm not going to go into this in detail. No, anyway, no, no, I, 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 I want to hear got, this. They've got these captive cuttlefish, these pharaoh cuttlefish, um, yeah. born in captivity, got the eggs, raised them, treated them very nicely, and then present them with shrimps in a couple of tanks. So they will have these cuttlefish in the tank, and then they'll have this other little tank within okay. that big tank, with, which has either got, say, one shrimp in it, or it's got four shrimps, or it might have two shrimps, or it might have three shrimps. The cuttlefish can distinguish between low numbers of shrimps. The important thing is, so, yeah, yeah, you kind of think, well, yeah, my, my dog can this do this. This is a food thing. This is like, where do I get to eat more? This is not counting. Well, well I, but I, they I, can distinguish. I, I, I know, I'm kind of with you on this, and I, I, this is why I don't want to spend 10 like, minutes on, talking about it. Like, hang on, let's imagine this. Okay, so you've got one tank that's got, say, three in it. Yeah. And, and what are they? Shrimp. Shrimp. Okay, which is a food source for the cuttlefish. Yeah. And then you've got another tank that's got, say, 10 in it. No. Or six. Well, well, yeah, three a, and a, 10. A they can, yeah, okay. that's right. Now, how do cuttlefish sense their prey? They see them. Well, and they feel them. And they sense them. 
by their by a little kind of sensors on their on their surface. So I bet ten to one that three six prawns either give off more sensation that the cuttlefish pick up and they're more visible than three prawns. You weren't listening to the start. Oh, I was. The prawns are in their own separate tank within that other tank. So they can't touch the prawns. They can't smell them. They can't smell them. They are looking at the prawns. Oh. So they can distinguish yeah, but between... they can just do heap. Well, yeah, but they can distinguish between three prawns and four prawns, and they can distinguish between four prawns and five prawns. A one-year-old child and a macaque monkey can do it between two and three prawns. Well, whatever the food type is that the macaque monkey yeah, yeah, or the one-year-old yeah, yeah, human yeah, yeah, yeah. likes. Bananas. And they can distinguish between three and four, but they can't distinguish between four and five. And remember that this cuttlefish is an animal that does not have a backbone. It does not oh, yeah, have... It's got a brain, though. It's got a really a good brain good and it's got fantastic eyes. It's actually better eyes than we do in an evolutionary sense. Goodness me. But, it, it, well... Anyway, that can How does this work, Dr. Beach? How does it work? Yes. Well, you're asking too many questions. I I just read this on the tram on the way. No, I didn't. I I spent a bit more time looking at it than that. But I did wonder those things. I I do love it. I I haven't put the paper completely apart. Sorry, just totally changing the topic because I I am very intrigued by this. I am very intrigued. I'll I'll send you the paper which has been published in. The Proceedings of the Royal Society, Series B. So it's not as if it was just, you know, kind of Facebook.com. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's not. Fa- it's not Facebook.com. Do love it. Hey, one thing we did forget to do was to wish each other for Happy Father's Day. Oh, yeah. And also all the other dads out there. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's well. Day. It's Father's Day. Mm. Do What'd you, know? you get this morning? Did you get fry up in bed? Uh, no, I got a request at 7am if... Um, Waking me up if some said children were allowed to have Nutella on croissants. Nutella on croissants. Yeah, could you believe anything more vile? I mean, wonderful. <laughs> but not for children at 7am. I didn't get any. They my, ate them my, all. my children were asleep and I suspect still are. <laughs> Father's hey, what, um, they'll say? Yeah, Father's yeah. what? Oh, hey? You get a day? No. Not for us. We're joined uh, live in the studio by Anna McCallum. And on Wednesday night, um, September the 14th, at the Melbourne Museum, the the Victorian branch of the Australian Marine Science Association is putting on a great little public event called Showcasing Victoria's Marine Science. Anna, welcome to the studio and Marinara. Nice to be here. Let me try the right microphone. That, oh. that wasn't microphone. Am I no, here? Isn't it? yes, you are. Uh, welcome, welcome. Hello. Now, now you're actually from the Museum Victoria, I and am. as well as being a committee member of the Australian Marine Sciences Association Victoria, which for the rest of this interview I will refer to as AMSA. Oh, good. Because that's, that's like a really big name. Yes. Yeah. And um, you're emceeing on the night. I am. So if people come on the 14th, I'll get, oh, see you and you're emceeing. I'm not going to be a big part of the um, <laughs> night. I think I'll be a relatively minor bit there. But, yes, I will so, be introducing the speakers. And what will people see if they expect if they come along? Well, we've handpicked um, some scientists working across Victoria and we've tried to select um, some of the great research that's happening and a bit of diversity of research. So there are six different talks. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, Dr David Kennedy, who's at the University of Melbourne, and he's talking about beach erosion. 
So, know so as an MC, you're allowed to choose a favourite even before the event, are you? Is that like part of the rules? Well, look, I want to hear all of them, <laughs> but I, I think um, I think the public will be interested in hearing well, all of the talks. But David's, um, I often get a questions from friends and family when they notice changes to um, their local beach and mm-hmm. some of the dunes, you know, there's really dramatic changes that happen over winter. So he's going to be telling us a bit about what's, um, what's natural in that process and um, where we might have cause for concern or... Maybe we don't have coins. And his is entitled um, be, uh, Coastal Erosion Friend or Foe. That's right. I love that. And there's about one, two, what is there, six different speakers. Six speakers, And yep. they're covering everything from kind of eroding coasts to microbes to turtles to rotoliths to deep-sea mushrooms. I'm going to come back to that yeah. one. Um, and, and then also how temperature can affect the size of marine babies. Yeah, that talk is um, actually from a recently, I think... I think she's completed her PhD, mm-hmm. um, but only just recently. So but that's a bit of up-and-coming science. We want yeah, to wow. get a bit of a breadth of... We've got professors and we've also got just recently finished PhDs. So she won our um, AMSA Travel Award to go to the New Zealand... Oh, no, she won the Victorian um, Southern Science Award Fantastic. at the last conference. So that should be a good one. And so who are the other... So we've talked about one speaker by name, but who are the other speakers? Um, so we've also got Dr Adela Harvey. She's at La Trobe um, and she's talking about rotolith. She's like mm, like Professor Rotolith. Yes, yeah. The person... Do you, anyone know, do you know what Rotolith is, Dr Bill? I sure do. And it's, 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 a, it's a nice segue to what I'm going to talk about later I on. I'm, I'm going to talk about green-type Rotolith, but Rotoliths are red algae which are calcified. And they're, they're, they're rocks. And they're, they're, they look like rocks, but they're round on the bottom of the sea. And they roll around like it's well, a moving habitat. they roll around, yeah. In my... She says that they were previously considered just to be rubble, so I guess they're a little-known marine habitat. It's an entire habitat type mm. right across Victoria. Brilliant. Who else? We got? We got. So we've got Adele, we've got... David Kennedy. We've got Professor uh, Graham Hayes from Deakin University, and he's ter- talking about turtles. Um, and Giant. Giant turtles, yeah. Giant. So oh. I think he's studies... The size of a VW. There's a movie in there. <laughs> Giant turtles. Giant marine turtles. That's exciting. And so this is ones that come from elsewhere and come to Victoria. I think so. Yeah, so fantastic. migratory, yeah. But I think you see more in Victoria than any other place in Australia or any other state. Different kinds. The no, mod- of the giant... Yeah, wow. Um, I think it's the giant green turtle. Yeah, 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 wow. there, but, uh, Fantastic. And who else? Find out. Who You've else? Got to, there's got to be some kind well, of from, surprise on from the From the giant um, turtles, yep. we go right down to the microbes of the marine system, and that's um, Associate Professor Mark Osborne from RMIT. And he's looking at interactions between plastic pollution huh. and microbes. As in microbes attacking plastic pollution? No, unfortunately oh. not. Plastic pollution not being very good for microbes. No, and, and microbes underpin all um, marine systems and food webs and um, carbon sequestration. So they're obviously yeah, wow. the most sort of important underlying part of our marine system. Bacteria, and bugs. Bugs. Mm. We're going to talk about bugs later too. Yeah, we're going to talk about We love microbes. We love microbes. Mm. microbes we're talking about them in every opportunity. <laughs> no, and and the person talking about babies getting bigger during climate change. We, yes. we referred to her as she before, but her name is... Uh, Amanda Peterson. Amanda Peterson. At Where, Monash University. From Monash, fantastic. Mm. What sort of marine babies? Uh, actually, I don't know. Just, it might any, be any. Any kind. Any kind. Any it's kind. It's to do with larvae, temperature. yeah. To do with temperature controlling the size of larvae. Mm-hmm. Marine babies. Hey, and uh, if I'm adding up, we're missing one and we're missing the one about deep sea mushrooms. 
Oh, how could I have forgot? My, my own colleague, um, Dr Hugh McIntosh at Museum Victoria. We had Hugh on about a month ago. Oh. Was it about two months ago? He didn't talk about deep sea mushrooms, though, did he? Yes, he did. He did? Yeah, off the okay. Great Australian Bite. I missed this one. What's yeah. a deep sea mushroom? Well, we didn't know until recently yeah, what? what this mysterious um, animal was. And it was suspected that, like, well, they found them initially 30 years ago yeah. off... Um, Southeast Australia, but no one could tell, no one could put it in one of the, the known animal phyla. Yeah. So they thought possibly it's like this ancient fauna that's a relict. So then Hugh was out doing some research on um, the Southern Surveyor, no, the investigator, sorry. Right. And they found more of them, and so he's, they've found the answer. And what is the answer? Well, or I can't tell come. you, you have to Right, come. okay, yeah. <laughs> Listen to the podcast. I love it. I love it. But it's a great story. It's a fantastic story with morphology and using genetic techniques to to nail it. And you've got a very nice paper in current biology. So this is six um, speakers. They're pretty snappy kind of, you know, presentations about, you know, the the, the science. And how many years has has AMSA been doing this? Well, this is only the second year, Yeah, yeah, at the Melbourne Museum. And at this sort of, we tried to go big and short, snappy talks. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So, when is it? So, it is not this Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It's the next Wednesday, mm-hmm. the 14th of September. And it starts at 6pm. Yep. Doors open at 5.30. Because mm-hmm. you want to get down the front to yep. see the pictures of the That's right. And you might want to chat with all your... <laughs> Your friends that are also there, from, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, that you go yeah, diving yeah. with, yeah, or yeah, your, totally. all your stuff. And so, and how long does it go for? Like, will you be able to like do this and then go for dinner? Yes. Yeah. Goes till seven pm. All oh, right, so it's really snappy. Boom, boom, boom. Sorry, seven thirty. Seven thirty, yeah. but still, yeah. that's really snappy. Yeah. Does it cost anything? It costs ten dollars, eight dollars yep. if you are a concession, or. And what about kids? Um, eight dollars. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So yep. you could bring the kids. You could. I think I'd have pizza. Yeah. I love it. Great thing to do. You could hear about, you could listen to Hugh about his deep sea mushrooms, which, and or, the only thing I'll say is they're not fungi. Yeah, I, but, I, 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 I got, got that. No. Yeah, got yeah, that. And you know what was a giveaway then? The way Annie is the word animal. That was a giveaway. Because um, I was. Fauna I, too. Yeah, fauna, yeah. Whilst I missed that. Anyway. And so how do people book? Um, they can go to the Eventbrite mm-hmm. website. And I think Anth is going to put the link up there. That's probably easier. But if you go to the Eventbrite and, and search, search Marine, then it'll yeah, come up. Yeah, okay. Otherwise, the official site is Vic Marine Science, Science 2016 at Eventbrite. But I think you'll No, dot eventbrite.com.au. So I'm going to put that up on our um, Facebook. Anyone can have a look. On a computer device. A computer device. Yep. And, and you can access it from any computerial device that you own. Fantastic, Hannah. Thank you very much for coming in and telling us, man. Now, are they booking, like, is there a limit? You know, like, there is a limit. Oh, and seriously? Last, oh, okay, right. Yeah, last year it did book out. No before, way. So make sure you get in soon. Tickets are selling fast. Tickets, Tickets are, selling are selling fast. fast. They are. Okay, so in summary, Wednesday the 14th of September, 6pm, Museum Victoria, six fantastic cutting-edge pieces of Victorian marine science. Just be a little bit parochial there. Oh, you know, you love to be a bit parochial about your marine science. And it's 10 bucks or 8 bucks for a concession. That's right. Eventbrite. I might go. I, awesome. I would like to go along awesome. to listen to the first speaker that you mentioned, Anna, who's talking about. Yeah, listen to all. Well, no, I, 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 I want to listen to all yeah. of it. But, 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 but I, 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 we heard about you. you know, we, we know about Hugh's work. No, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, <laughs> the shore stuff. You know, like with shifting sand. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That. that sounds particularly it. fascinating. Port mm. Phillip Bay. There's been a lot of that in the news. 
particularly down near the mouth of our bay. That's right. And of course, because we, you know, like we as a people imagine that we're here in a minute, like, you know, we're here at this moment. We imagine that the environment is not dynamic. We forget that the whole thing has been moving and is moving constantly. So those beaches have been ebbing and flowing and moving and doing what they're doing for decades, annually, hundreds of years. And then we've come in and... And then we come in and we stick beach boxes on the end of it and go, gee, where the beach go? Or groins. Or groins. I kind of hate that word. Absolutely. Hey, Anna, thank you so much for coming in. I hope it goes really well. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Wednesday, 14th of September. At the Museum Victoria, which uh, is what in, time was it? 6pm uh, for six that. speakers. <laughs> 6pm for six speakers, you can remember that. Yeah, Mary de Marinara, we talk about things worth insulting. There is a piece of research which was mm-hmm. published by um, people, led by Alan Nutman. This appeared in the prestigious journal Nature this week, and it has received a little bit of airplay around the traps. Yeah, so but I would, like to, I would like to go into this in more detail because okay. it deals with... Well, the title of the paper is Rapid, Rapid Emergence of Life Shown by Discovery of 3,700 Million-Year-Old Microbial Structures. <laughs> it's a bit of an eye-catcher. It is a bit of an eye-catching title, isn't it? it this is the first evidence, and <laughs> 95% of people would say, yeah, this is indeed evidence for life on Earth 3.7 billion years ago. Now, when do we think Earth started? Earth started around 4.5 billion years ago. So this is well, very early. 4.65 billion years ago, and of course, when... Uh, as a you know, rock? Well as, well, as a rock, it's the same time as our sun, you know, so the, yeah, the, yeah, col- the molecular collapse, everything yeah. kind of got sucked into the middle, our sun and formed, and everything that was still out around it became the planets and the asteroid belts and all of those things. So it's highly likely that there was no life on it at that point because it would have been a bit inhospitable. In fact, that time was called the, um, well, back around 4 billion years ago and before that was called the Hadean, as in Hades. As in Hades, as in yeah. really bloody Fire hot. and brimstone, yeah, yeah, yeah. you had stuff slamming okay. into Earth and all that. And that's when our moon formed. You know, that was a big rock, you know, meteorite slammed into Earth, blew out a chunk of it and then formed an orbit around Earth and that is our moon. But in that period, there was yeah. just a, a whole lot of shit going down. It was <laughs> it's a scientific it's a interpretation. It's a scientific <laughs> term. It's a scientific term. There's a lot of stuff term. going on. <laughs> These microbial fossils, and, and mm-hmm. these are things that are called stromatolites. Some okay. of you who have been to Shark Bay, yeah. northwest Western Australia, would have seen live stromatolites. And stromatolites are microbial communities. They are called microbial mats, so bacteria that live together in a community and form these layered structures, these very beautiful layered structures. And you can see those in the intertidal zone, zone up near northwest Western Australia. Never, never millions, been there, have you, Anne? Take, seen no, those? I haven't. I've seen, I've seen them on TV, obviously, but I've never been there either. But they take millions of years to add a layer. Oh, they're, they? they're, you know, they're like, very, very, very old. And they're very old. And they've been around for a really long time. Because they're a very old form of algae, aren't they? Well, that, they are, but that, so they're... Bacteria, bacteria, and they're made up predominantly of a thing called cyanobacteria, and they are what we affectionately call blue-green algae. But they are bacteria, and they do photosynthesis. So So they take carbon dioxide out of take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and pump oxygen back into the atmosphere. So they probably helped make. But there's lots of other microbes in there as well. And these guys make these layered structures over time, and when they get preserved in the fossil record, so so when rocks get formed Mm -hmm. a long time ago. These things get compressed, particularly in sedimentary rocks. Mm. You can see, you can cut sections through these rocks and you can see things which look just like present-day stromatolites. And people have done all sorts of fancy tests with machines like mass spectrometers and all sorts of probes and things that go ping and are blinging lights to convince 
the vast majority of scientists, and there's still a few that say, mm, are there's really you know, evidence of microbial life, but the vast majority of people say, yes, indeed, they yeah, yeah. are. And so these were found in rocks, which are known to be 3.7 billion years old in Greenland, in a recently exposed area. So Greenland, snow, cold, all of that. And there, there's this layer of rocks up there which rejoice in the name of the Isua Supracrustal Belt, otherwise known as the ISB. They, okay. they are known to be old rocks, 3.7 okay. billion years old. Mm, and when, and when these rocks have formed, there's a lot of heat and there's mixing of dolomite and all these other mites and stuff normally, which <laughs> kind of mashes up the whole lot. Like mm. it's, it's a bit like you know, chucking a whole lot of different potatoes into your, you know, steaming them and then mm. getting the masher out. So you can't tell you know, what in the hell was there in the first place, mm. except in some places where it's been very calm when these rocks were formed. So it hasn't all been mashed up. So you can see preserved in rocks, present-day rocks, what it looked like 3.7 billion years ago. And there's one particular part of this um, Isua supracrustal belt, which uh-huh. hasn't been boiled, as Alan Nutman described it. Uh-huh. It hasn't been boiled to the point where it's all just a big mishmash. mishmash. He and his colleagues, and Alan Nutman's at the University of Wollongong, and yeah. colleagues from other places around Australia, I think Sydney and QUT, um, went to Greenland, found this little bit which is really perfectly preserved and took slices of it and, have, and they found it four years ago but yeah. been, they wanted to really check it in lots of detail to make yeah. sure that they were on the money here and they are on the money. They've got their paper in nature. And, and so, so, so like little tiny... Because these are tiny... These are bacteria, so these are little tiny slices. I, like, well, like, no, 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 no. It, it's The thing's about... Size of your fist, yeah, okay, but it represents a whole lot, you know, gazillions of bacteria yeah, in, yeah, this, in this yeah. layer. Anyway, so this is three point seven billion years old. Previously, in our fair land of Australia, the earliest known, well, in on Earth, the okay. earliest known evidence for life was which also was from, from Australia, which is from Australia, from yeah. the Pilbara, yeah. was three point five billion Whoa. years ago. So this is pushing things back. 200 million years. Think about it. That's a long time. It's a very long time. That's a, a t- it's an enormously That's long an time. That's an enormous wait for pizza. And these... <laughs> you know, just for example... To give You're you so flippant. Kind of come on, come on. No, we're no, talking no, science no, no, here. No. I'm trying to bring this into kind of context for every day. 200 you know, like, million years is a long time to wait for a pizza. <laughs> it would be cold. So we're taking it back to 3.7 billion years. This Remember I said life, life started 4.65 billion... Yeah. But no, 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 sorry. Earth, Earth started 4.65 billion years ago. It was the Hadean period, you know... Stuff slamming into Earth. It was hot. It was just you know, yeah, no atmosphere. Horrible. It was just a hellish place to live. Nobody lived there then. Nothing lived there. Nothing. But we so we have to take. So we've got something at three point seven billion years, which yeah, is a yeah. pretty complex community of lots yep. of different organisms. Yep. Some of them which are doing photosynthesis. So multiple different types of organisms. Multiple too. different so types of organisms. Yeah. Bacteria, which have yeah. some who've figured out how to do photosynthesis, yeah. which is a pretty amazing thing. You know, take the sun's energy, convert yeah. that. You know, use those electrons that you you know. Suck in that carbon dioxide, spit out the oxygen. Spit out the oxygen, an amazing process. So life must have started a considerable time before that. 900 million years to just get to that stage. Yeah, from the very start to this point. And we kind of think that, you know, it's unlikely that life started... For you know, before four billion years ago, there was yeah. the, there was this this period this period long. at three point nine billion years ago, which is called the the late impact period, yeah. or is it the early impact period? I forget. But anyway, there's craters on the moon which are really big, which indicate to us that you know the meteorites were where life flicking around. Oh, perhaps I mean, who knows? Yeah, know, maybe it was like a little amino acid in there. We can't rule that out. You're, you're indeed correct. We can't I know rule that's that one out. Of theories, yeah. Anyway, pushing this back to. Yeah. 
3.7 billion years means that life must have started a considerable time before that to get all this, you know, you've got all those molecules floating about, you've, you've got to get cellular body, absolutely. cells happening. And one really important thing is, of course, when the rock formed, that 4.6 that you're talking about, there was no atmosphere. No. So there was no oxygen. So these little guys we're talking about here and their predecessors in this very short period of time, they're the people that produced, or not the people, they're the organisms that produced the atmosphere. That's right. They've enabled for all the rest of everything to happen. And this is a good thing to remind people mm. of, is that having a cup of coffee in bed and a piece of toast and perhaps crumpet and honey, who knows? No, I'm waiting for but pizza from last But night. if it weren't for the photosynthetic organisms on Earth, half of which live in the ocean, yeah. the phytoplankton, a couple of seaweeds, yeah. but mostly phytoplankton, yeah. We would not have oxygen in the atmosphere to breathe. So it was, for, and the first oxygen in the atmosphere came about through bacteria. photosynthesis, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was produced by cyanobacteria. Some of these guys, me. which are instrumentalized, isn't it interesting? Because you know, like, I mean, this is, it's um. The way you tell that story, it brings home to me just how epic this piece of information is. I mean, this is like, it's like what we've done is is kind of there's a there's a point in time, you know, about three point five ish billion years ago that we thought we had yep. things covered, and someone's just knocked a couple of hundred million years off that. Yep, it's so mind it blowing. Means, yeah, I'm wow. with you. I find and these are marine I really, organisms. These are marine organisms. And, and shallow seas. I think they're in shallow seas. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you can tell. It's really interesting when you read this Because they need sunlight, pretty heavy, intense sunlight, don't they, to and, be able to... Yeah, and the paper has just appeared in Nature for some of you who can get access to Nature. Um, and it's Alan Nutman. Uh, yeah, Brilliant. fascinating Brilliant. stuff. You can even tell from the fossils, when you look at these slices of the rocks, you can tell how little undulations at the top that that indicates to these people who are used to looking at these rocks that there was... Tidal movement over the No. Yeah. Fantastic. A tiny little striations. Okay, so that means we've got enough oceans at this point with enough movement to get tides going yeah. in and out. We've got a stable yeah. moon. Yeah, and it must wow. have been at least a couple of hundred million years before that that life actually started. That is sensational, Dr. Beach. benevolent, beautiful Earth that we're all can, lucky enough to live on. And the on. most extraordinary thing for me about this is that these things that they've found essentially the same kind of formation. You can go to Shark Bay now and see the same stuff in WA. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Well, I was going to talk about bioerms with oh, Alameda, yeah, but, but we don't have time. On, Perhaps ne- next brilliant. time. Next time. Wow. Now, I've got, to, I've got to give a little kind of preamble to this next segment because I need to declare a conflict of interest or a potential conflict of interest. I'm actually a current member of the Victorian Coastal Council and I'm the chair of its science panel. And so what we're going to talk about actually involves the Coastal Council. Any views I express are not the council's. They're probably not even mine. I just making it up at the time. But I just want to give that little bit of a... a, a a kind of a context to it. And there's a discussion paper out at the moment from the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, or DELP, as they're otherwise known about, having a new Marine and Coastal Act in Victoria. And Associate Professor Jeff Westcott from Deakin University is the chair of the expert panel that the department's been using to, to help kind of develop the, the kind of options in this consultation paper. And he joined us live in the studio this morning. Good morning, Jeff, and welcome back to Radio Marinara. Good morning. It's great to have you in. Now, now tell me, this consultation paper is all about building improved management and oversight arrangements for Victoria. Before we get into what they could be, what's actually broken that we need to do all this stuff? 
Well, the current Coastal Management Act is now 21 years old. So in some respects, and it's been amended once in that time, so in some respects you would expect anything that's that old probably needs another look. Like it needs a service. It needs <laughs> probably a, more than a service, maybe a new engine. Right, okay. um, And so uh, it, it's a, in essence the drivers are the things that are missing from the practice of the Coastal Management Act over 20 years. So there's some pretty classics. Uh, there's no acknowledgement of traditional owners in the current yeah, Act. Right, okay. Um, the role of the community is, is in there, but it's not um, centred and clear. Uh, the link to climate change is not... Uh, apparent and deliberately integrated and it doesn't do enough for the marine environment. And so some of those things almost sound like they were just things that weren't on people's mind at the time and then some of them sound like actual maturing understanding of what we're doing has kind of grown over time. That's right. If, if you look at a, 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 the traditional owner one probably should have been stronger uh, even 21 years ago. I think that's yeah, probably wow. was in political type oversight back then. The climate change was really just coming into its own. Certainly at the public level, yeah. At the public level. And uh, marine, well, the Coastal Management Act does cover Victorian coastal waters, but because it doesn't use the word marine and doesn't really focus on it, they've been neglected and um, as... as your declaration at the beginning pointed out the Coastal Council and its coastal strategies has tried very hard to get marine up higher in its in both um, functional sense and a sort of uh, public awareness sense and has just not really been able to kick goals on that front. So this time we're going to put it in the objectives of the Act is the recommendation and the Council that was the Victorian Coastal Council becomes a Marine and Coastal Council. And so, yeah, I was just going to go to, so you've got, you've put together this discussion paper and there's, I mean, it's quite big, isn't it? It's 90-odd it's pages. 90-odd yeah. pages, some real chunky stuff in there. Mm. I guess this, you, your, your colleagues on your expert panel have, like, tossed, thrashed around a few options. What's some of the kind of headline kind of options that, you know, you're putting up for discussion? I think the headline options are um, the, the Marine and Coastal Council rather than the Victorian Coastal Council. This is a thing to run after. It's a, it's a major advisory body to the minister and to government. Uh, it's probably got a greater capacity to show initiative. The other feature, I suppose, that is major, and you know, sometimes this looks like policy wonk stuff, and sometimes <laughs> it's uh, it's very real. But the the current stra- coastal strategy that runs things for five years is a mixture of lovely broad policy statements and specifics do this by that agency by such and such a time. And that it, it's expanded out to well over 200 pages. Mm-hmm. So in this uh, iteration, the idea is let's pull the policy stuff out the top and maybe not everybody will be interested in that. A bit like the water policy we've got now where it, it, it paints a broad, longer-term picture and drop the uh, marine and coastal strategy down to an implementation strategy with high concentration wrecks. Now you mentioned before, I mean, mm. I just, you mentioned the word policy wonk and, and you know like you know to be honest you know there, there are some who may say that acts and policies and these kinds of things are not the most riveting kind of stuff to contribute to. Um, wh- what does it actually mean for like coastal and marine people? Like what you know d- d- does it change anything for people and who would you think would be interested in contributing? I think there's two bits that um, Radio Marinara people should be very interested in, and they're not policy wonk 
Uh, there's a proposal for a marine spatial planning framework to be developed for Victoria. Now, that also oh, so sounds... What a, you can do in the marine environment. What you can do and where you could do it. Right. Um, and as we know, we know all about planning on land. You only have to look out the door from here to see some of the planning decisions made on land. And that's within an organised system where you've got uh, areas set aside for specific uses. Uh, in the coastal waters of Victoria, you've got some marine protected areas, some agricultural zones, channels, um, bits and pieces... But it, there are a whole lot of areas with no, um, no, no use identified in them and no way of resolving any conflicts. Right. So, of course, on land, um, you want to build something. You've got to go to the council. You've got to kind of get a permit to do this. And there's all these planning overlays. None of that exists in the marine environment at all. You go specifically to the agency that yeah, is in control okay. of that domain, um, which can often mean that you end up just talking amongst yourselves because yeah, okay. you know, you're talking to your colleagues and friends in the area. Uh, but if, for example, um, there was a marine energy proposal for offshore wave or something in southwestern Victoria, um, at the moment it would go to the energy minister. Now, mm-hmm. it might be near where the whales are. It could be near could a be. channel into Portland. An uh, enormous piece of historic yeah. sea country that's well, extremely that's significant right, country, to uh, Tamara. Or, yep. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, there's no way for it. So that sounds a bit wonkish, but it cu- cuts to the chase, really, about who does what and where and where you can. The other one, certainly from the science community point of view, is the, the improving knowledge and, and capacity building, which is... A, as always, unfortunately, the last one um, tacked on at the end. And it's, 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 it's underdeveloped, I'd say, in the consultation paper, and that probably just reflects the sort of um, focus on the bigger overall picture. But it, it's well worthwhile cutting to the chase and having a look at that. Um, you've already convinced about the science panel. Uh, you know, should the science panel be in the legislation? Should we have a marine and coastal science panel that uh, is available for consultation to the minister and written into the Act? And the, uh, right, and they can offer, yes. Now, I also want to pick up another mm. one. You mentioned adapting to climate change. Yes. And so, of course, you know, climate change is one of those things that, you know, just, you know, you don't have to be, I suppose, you, you'd have to have been on Mars to not recognise that it, unfortunately, f- sometimes get picked up in political debates. And so by embedding climate change and ad- adaptation to it is the idea that you could then remove that out of the politics of the day, whatever that might be, and enable there to be real planning for the reality of the fact that the sea level... I mean, one thing we do know is, you know, in the next 100 years, the, the ocean in Victoria is going to get bigger. You know, like it's just a reality. Yeah, that's right. I, I think it's a pretty classic case of how things develop. So these things develop along separately. So we have a Climate Change Act, but there's hardly any reference to what's in that Climate Change Act in anything else um, over time. And so the idea here, and it's not just in this marine and coastal reform, it's in the water mm. policy reform and elsewhere, is to integrate these together, start using the same language, have the same objectives across the board and hope that, you know, that builds a critical mass and you get to a real tipping point of action. Jeff, in all of this, I'm, I'm thinking what you're, part of your job is identifying all the so-called stakeholders in all these different issues. When you mentioned that example before of perhaps having tidal energy mm. offshore, you know, you might talk to the energy department or whatever it is, but there's going to be a whole bunch of other people who have a vested interest in this, whether it be, you know, it's going to affect them or energy, whatever. That must be quite a a job in itself, identifying all the different stakeholders. It's... Um 
we've got a stakeholder reference group that's met three times. There's over 25 people on that. Goodness. From every possible... From 25 in, different areas. 25 different areas of stakeholders. We've been aided and embedded by the history of the coastal strategy because as an every five year going out for consultation document, um, it's got a you know, huge list of people. So we were able to use their experience. We were able to then to tap into um, the, the stakeholder reference group, as I say. The expert panel has a wealth of experience. So that's allowed us to, we think, touch base with all the uh, major stakeholders. But now's the chance, and this is really the the point of the exercise in a way, this is the opportunity for everybody to have a go. So if I'm sitting here, if I'm listening to this thinking, hey, I want to say in this, put my hand up. Yeah, how do you do that? Well, it's um, 23rd of October is the magic date. That's a closing date. So you've got a couple of months. You've got a couple of months. um, You pick up the document. I would actually go to the very last two pages of the document because it summarises the changes and it's all on the DELP Have Your Say website. Okay, so if you Google Marine and Coastal Act, or we'll put a link on our our website, Mm -hmm. so if you've got this 90 pages, oh, what do I do? Your advice as the chair of the expert panel is have a look at the last two pages. It's got the guts of it. And if you're going to do nothing else, you've got five minutes to do that and have your say. Yep, and right. it'll be listened to? Like, is it going to be read and, and you know, people's oh, views taken into the, account? Yeah, the expert panel is, is an independent body of the, pro, of the project team and the government agencies. So we'll be uh, making our recommendations directly to the minister. Okay. Um, and they'll be built on what's in the paper and what people say. So people can really have a, have a chance to comment. Yeah. So, so there's a have your say site. For, um, for Marine and Coastal Act, and we'll put it on our website as well. Uh, Associate Professor Jeff Westcott from Deakin Uni, thank you very much for joining us this morning. And I hope it goes well. Will you come back afterwards and tell us oh, where it got to? Absolutely. Um, and it, it should be... The, there's a bit of urgency about it because we need to get it to the parliamentary drafts person so that we can see if we can get an act given next year. Yeah, wow. Oh, it's going to happen fast. Parliament. Rapid. I'd like to thank uh, Jeff Westcott for coming in this morning. I'd like to thank Anna McCallum for coming in as well. I'd like to thank you, Dr Beach, and your beautifully very old stromatolites. I'd like to thank you, Anthony Bartlett. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.